everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokro. And today we have an Oscar Rewind movie trade of sorts. We will be talking about two films, Saving Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love. I hadn't seen Shakespeare in Love, and Nick, you hadn't seen Saving Private Ryan until Mm -hmm. this week. So I'm very excited to talk about these movies and the very contentious and infamous Mm -hmm. Oscar race. Yeah, I think it'll be fun talking about how this happened and maybe why this happened. And I'm curious to know if you liked the outcome of the split and what you thought about these movies. I liked revisiting Shakespeare and Saving Private Ryan is one of those movies that is always talked about. People love this movie and I definitely have some thoughts and feelings on this one. So bear with us. I think this is going to be fun too. Let's just jump right in with Saving Private Ryan. IMDb description here. Following the Normandy landings, a group of U.S. soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore, Paul Giamatti. It has a really big ensemble cast here. And Saving Private Ryan won five Oscars, including Best Director, Best Film Editing, Cinematography, Sound, and Effects, Sound Effects Editing. It was nominated for six other Oscars, including Picture, Actor for Hanks, Screenplay, Art Direction, Set Decoration, Makeup, and Best Music, Original Dramatic Score. Let's start with you, since this was your first time seeing Saving Private Ryan. What did you think of it? Aside from all of the Oscar stuff, just as a movie, how did you feel? I think I'll start off by saying I like this movie. It's hard to only think of this in one way and not think about the Oscars of it all, the campaigns they ran, how that strategy has affected the Oscars to this day. And then also having heard about this very revered film. So my expectations were really high. There are parts that I didn't like, but... I think overall it was a very Spielberg film, crowd pleaser, and especially for a war movie, this was a huge blockbuster. So I think it did its job in appealing to all the audiences. I didn't love it, but I did really like it. I don't know if that's like better or worse than I was expecting. I wasn't really sure what you would think, and I think that is because it's so hard to view both of these movies outside of their Oscar races, Mm -hmm. outside of the campaigning and Harvey, of course. And we will talk about all of that. I think also if you'd heard such praise about it for years, I'm curious and you can ask this of me too, but what took you so long to get to Saving Private Ryan? I don't really know. I think the fact that it wasn't a Best Picture winner, Tom Hanks didn't win for this. It didn't have any of the huge markers And it's not really high up on like best of lists where it's like, oh, I got to watch that. And I'm not really just going to sit down and watch a three hour war movie. Mm -hmm. Not that I don't like them, but I think that's a mood that I wasn't really gunning for before. I see that. I mean, it's three hours long. It's, I would say, in the dad movie Hall of Fame. It's this mm-hmm. like American war epic starring America's dad, Tom Hanks, directed by America's dad director, Steven Spielberg. So I feel like it just, it checks all of those boxes and sometimes those yeah. boxes aren't as interesting as some of the other movies that come out. So I get that where it feels like it's everywhere, but it's also a movie I... I rewatched for this, but it was the first time I'd ever rewatched it actually since I first saw it many years ago at this point. It's not a rewatchable film at all. And some of that is the subject matter, some of it's the length, but it is kind of one of those similar to Schindler's List, I think, like one watch films. I mean, that's funny you say that because I could see myself rewatching it. Starting off for me, we open on this waving American flag. I said, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) And then we're in this cemetery. This older man, he falls down in front of this grave crying. We get a close-up of his eyes, and then we cut to June 1944 on Omaha Beach and this 25-minute consuming sequence, which was 
so sensational. There are so many things happening, so many actors. You're right in the thick of it. And I think the camera being there on the front lines, in the water, you can see bullets flying by, and there's so much blood. At the end of the sequence, you see the bloody water, and Captain Miller puts his helmet back on, and there's this like bloody water running down his face. So I think by the end of this, I was exhausted in a good way. But the part that I didn't like about this was the shaky handheld camera. Mm. I was like getting a little nauseous headache from it. And I think this was the early days of all of that too. So I understand how that must have been in 1998. Like it was very documentary feel for what was happening. And then even as the movie slows down and we get all of the melodrama of it, we learn about the characters. I'm not sure I really ever fell out of the movie. There was maybe one scene where it kind of got slow, but it picked up really quickly. So I think the pacing worked really well. How did you feel about the battle sequence and what followed? I love the beginning of this movie. Seeing the old man who we don't really know who he is yet. That mm-hmm. makes me cry. It just like really overwhelms me just thinking about anyone like revisiting what their life was like before, especially a veteran. It just gets to me. And then the fact that it just goes right into this very intense, very stimulating, violent battle sequence that you think of as I think like one of the best war movie scenes I've ever seen. I like the shaky handheld camera. I did watch this on the train and I did take Dramamine, so it might have, <laughs> helped. Might have helped me. It's very disorienting because you don't really know who anyone is. You're just seeing all of these men fighting. You see Tom Hanks and he has this reputation in movies, I think, now for a reason, but it works. It's like he is your calm in the storm. He is like a point that you can look at and feel comforted in when you see him you know things are going to be okay and what I have trouble with though in this opening scene is that the old man at the beginning isn't Tom Hanks the man at the beginning right being Private Ryan like he didn't see what Tom Hanks's character is seeing so it mm-hmm. just doesn't really make sense to me logically that way I get that it's Spielberg's cinematic trick and it really works and it's kind of this idea that It's not just this one character that all of these men in war are experiencing this terror and this pain Mm -hmm. and everything that's going along with it and their experiences are so similar. But that is always a point of contention for me in this movie where I'm just like, wait a second, that doesn't really match up exactly. I also do really like this movie, but I had a similar experience when I watched Pieces of a Woman actually, which... I find to be like nowhere near as good as Saving Private Ryan, but where you start a film in such an intense emotional way and then it just never really builds back up to it again or it can't really get there again. And I always wonder, I think, why filmmakers choose to start so high and then never really want to reach that point the rest of the movie. It feels kind of all like a come down. And there are other battle sequences in the movie that I do really enjoy. But for me, the back half of this movie is nowhere near as strong as the beginning. I think the later battle sequence brings it back a little bit. This movie is very mirrored in that it comes full circle. So we have the flashback opening where we have that, to me, cheesy flashback plot device with that flag before it and then battle sequence. Then at the end, we have the battle sequence, the flashback, flash forward, I guess. And then we have the flag again. And that to me is very Spielberg. Mm -hmm. We also have that close up on the eyes, which is why we think it's Miller in the beginning, played by Hanks and not Ryan, played by Matt Damon. And I really fell into that trap at the end. I was like, there were two twists in this movie, that being one at the end, And then the other one that I just had no clue of what this plot was. I just thought it was, you know, a World War II war film. And once I learned about the actual plot of saving Private Ryan, I was like, duh. (laughs) (laughs) 30 minutes into the movie, it kind of refueled me because now I had a mission and an understanding of what was to come. I do think that is one of the most brilliant things that Spielberg does in his movies is that he knows how to just 
hook you emotionally and to pace the movie throughout in a way that will keep you invested emotionally Mm -hmm. in the story and in what these characters are going through. Because even though this movie is very long, it doesn't actually feel that long to me. I would just kind of look at how much time had passed when I was watching and I would be like, oh, I'm already two hours in. I think that the editing in this film is really good. Yes, you know, it is manipulative and that's what he's doing as a filmmaker. And it really works on me. The part when like you see all the secretaries typing the letters that perfectly sets up, you know, this moral conundrum, right? That's there, which is like, do you risk the lives of eight soldiers to save one other man who's out there so that a mother doesn't lose another one of her sons. And I think setting up those little things, like showing them write the letters and how emotional that will be, showing them deliver the news to Mrs. Ryan, Mm -hmm. that just makes you, I think, understand the mission far more than if he just kept the camera with them the entire time. Yeah, that scene particularly, I was on the verge of sobbing Mm -hmm. because the music and the editing were so good. I was so intrigued when they first showed the secretary looking at all these different letters. I was like, what is she doing? So when they finally go in and that's when we get our one-armed Brian Cranston, which was another kind of funny supporting performance because that's his only scene in the movie. And then from there, we find out what the premise is. And I read that this is actually a real thing that happens in the armed forces if there is like a sole survivor. So I'm not sure, but I have to bring up a moment of unintentional comedy that I find in this movie. It might only be funny to me, but the part when they get the wrong Private Ryan Mm -hmm. and he's like, my brothers are in grammar school (laughs) and Tom Hanks is just like, whatever, (laughs) like I'm abandoning this. Oh my God. I don't know why. It's just like, I know it's sad and like poor man who thinks that his brothers die, but then just that pivot. And it's like, of course, Ryan is the most basic name. Of course there are multiples, but that moment for me always brings a little bit of levity, even though it probably isn't supposed to. (laughs) I think Nathan Fillion did such a good job here because I felt so heartbroken for him. And I think... Tom Hanks plays really well off of him and that you realize that he's sitting there delivering this news and he doesn't know what to do. And then, yeah, that really quick change. And Tom Hanks is like, I'm out of here. We got to go find the real one. It was like, oh my God, I need a (laughs) second. It's like everyone needs some time here. (laughs) And then they just leave the other Ryan and he's like, what's happening? So they're okay. My God. (laughs) And I think that part is really sad where you think about like there's just so much uncertainty and war like these men haven't seen their families in who knows how long at this point Mm -hmm. and they are just so disillusioned and you think about like anything could happen like this guy could actually believe that his brothers in grammar school died tom hanks's reaction to it just always (laughs) always takes me out of it a little bit my one question to you is how you felt about jeremy davies who plays upham The movie's really hard on him and doesn't quite know what to do with him. And that's mainly because he's the pacifist. And I kind of feel like this movie has a little bit of a conundrum. And I think a lot of Spielberg movies do. But I think they try to make him seem kind of silly. I don't really know what to make of that. As he really is like the one who is supposed to be the anti-war one. And Spielberg himself has claimed like that he is Upham. Like that's his, that's who he would be in this movie. Mm -hmm. But I disagree because I feel like the movie is very hard on him compared to the other characters. He's definitely the shell-shocked character who wasn't ready for battle. Captain Miller asks him if he's held a gun before and he says yes. And he's like, great, come on, you're coming with us. Mm -hmm. And he's also this educated man who is at least trilingual. Mm -hmm. So... He is very different from all of the other soldiers here. I was a little frustrated with his character and how he maneuvers the last bit of this movie because I don't think any of this would have happened in real battle. Like where he just sits on the stairs and cries knowing that his friend has been murdered in the other room and then the German soldier just walks by him. Like that just wouldn't happen. I do like how the camera sort of shifts throughout 
to different characters in the movie. And for a big chunk of it, the audience is supposed to identify with Upham as this newbie who's thrust into combat with all these other men who are way more seasoned than he is. And he's sort of this outcast. And so we kind of learn along the way about war, about the men, about their stories. And earlier, I listened to Kevin Jacobson's podcast on this same dilemma that we're talking about today. So on his pod and the runner-up is he spoke to Joyce Ang, both who we've had on our pod before and both from Gold Derby. Kevin said, some parts of the ending are slightly convenient. And I felt this 100% identified Upham because at the very end, he becomes honorable again in shooting this German soldier, which I found to be extremely cheesy. But I think it's something that Spielberg struggles with a lot, but is also why I think this movie is such a crowd pleaser. Exactly. You think back to the time when Miller first recruits Upham to join the assignment, and mm-hmm. he like wants to bring his typewriter with him. He tells Miller, hey, I have never fought in combat before. And Miller reiterates, like, well, have you done basic training? Have you held a weapon? Have you fired a weapon? So what he's doing right there is he's like giving you that little bit that Spielberg always does. And it's like, Mm -hmm. the second you hear it, you know, this guy's going to be firing a weapon and doing something heroic by the end of the movie. (laughs) That's just how his movies work. It's why we love them, but it's super cheesy. It's harder, I think, to see in a war movie when I think sometimes Spielberg and other directors even shoot war movies like their sports films like it's about heroes having these great moments in Mm -hmm. the times when they need them most and that's just not really how war was all the time so i think convenient is the right word for that for sure and going along with that i think i guess the message for what he's trying to get across here and a lot of the themes in the movie he tackles a lot and i think he's able to grasp the majority of it, if not all of it, especially when they find Private Ryan, when he doesn't want to leave, when he wants to stay with his men and defend the bridge. I think that gets into a whole nother aspect of what war is really about, who you're defending, and the fact that these men are invested, they form these bonds of brotherhood. And he has this big speech of, you know, why am I special? Why do I get to leave and everybody else here has to stay and fight? It just puts into perspective each character's story and how maybe there's really no one right answer for how to go about this. Like they have their mission to find him, but they have the mission to win the war and to defend the city they're in. You know, it's there's so many hands being played at one time. I'm happy when I watch this and, you know, we see Matt Damon and I always get very emotional at the ending when they're reading the letter Mm -hmm. uh, from Miller. But my one like big gripe with Spielberg, why didn't we get to see the reunion between Private Ryan and his mom? Like, that's the whole point. I think like you, they're doing this for her, but it's just this framing device and we never get that reunion. And we know that it happens, obviously. Because he's Mm -hmm. the old man at the end and at the beginning. But I just wanted that little bit of comfort and just getting to see that after seeing what these men went through to go Mm -hmm. find him. I guess what would have happened, like he would have shown up at home, they would have hugged and then like fade to the ending ending. Sure. Like I want the field of dreams, one last catch with your dad thing. Like that's what I want. I want the emotional thing that you would think Spielberg would go for, but he just didn't mm-hmm. give it to me. So I think that's the only thing is I just would have liked to see the reunion with his mom. I kind of liked how it happened because we get the reading of the letter and how after Hanks dies and he tells Ryan earn this and then we get the close up again with the changing bodies and the ending in the cemetery hit me really hard and I don't really know why but oh my god I sob at the ending it's very very (laughs) emotional and it sounds crazy that I wanted it to be even more emotional than it already is but it's great I love the ending yeah I love when he's speaking to Miller beyond the grave and he goes I hope at least in your eyes I've earned what all of you have done for me and then he goes to his wife and 
asks her to tell me that I'm a good man. I think that just rips me apart. Mm -hmm. And to realize that he lived his whole life full of guilt and realizing what war can do to you, what these relationships meant to them, that gave me chills. It's so emotional, too, because when his wife says Miller's name, when she sees the cross, the headstone, and you, as a viewer, I think start to understand oh I have like tears while I'm thinking about this that he's never told his wife about this right like this is something that he has kept to himself Mm -hmm. and so many veterans don't talk about their experience and you know you understand why they wouldn't share those but you can tell through that moment that that's something that he has been holding on to and like you said feeling that guilt for his whole entire life and you do get this sense I think of catharsis in the end that even though he might still be feeling this guilt. Spielberg shows the shot of his family in the background, and you know that he's done what Miller wanted him to do. He has lived his life as this good man. He's earned it. And it is cheesy, but it really, really works. This movie has such strong bookends to it. I love that about it. So do you think if anybody or anything was snubbed, I definitely think, so not considering like what didn't win here, because I think we can save that for a little bit later. I do think like some of the other actors could have been nominated here. We had great performances in this ensemble besides Tom Hanks. I did think that Tom Sizemore as Horvath was great. The cast was really strong. Jeremy Davies even as Upham. Before we get to picture, I'm shocked that it did not win score, because I love this score the score is great i would have voted for life is beautiful too so i'm not upset about it and i think even the thin red line the score was incredible too i think it was just a tough year and it did win most of the tech awards you know it won editing sound sound editing so many Oscars that it did end up getting. And I also love, I think that the sound award is very deserving. There's a sound effect that he uses that I thought was really cool where they show the leaf and you hear the raindrops and then the sound transitions to become bullets. I thought that was really, really cool. Mm, That's cool. I would have gone with Tom Sizemore too. I think out of the supporting cast, he had the biggest role that could have gotten nominated. I think with casts like this, where you have so many actors and they're really showcased, at least it seemed like an equal amount of time. So it's kind of hard to pick out one versus another. So I have a question for you about actor for Tom Hanks. One, do you think that he should have won for this, earning his third Oscar? And two, do you think if Harrison Ford would have played Miller, would he have won best actor? And that I ask that because the Academy maybe didn't give Tom Hanks another Oscar because he'd already won two, if you think of it that way. To your first question, regardless of Oscar history, I don't think I would have given it to him for this performance. But knowing what happened, I think it makes total sense that for winning back-to-back Oscars just four years prior, Mm -hmm. there was no way they were going to give it to him. Yeah. And especially for performances that were way bigger, way more memorable in a way. And to your second question, I think to me the hardest thing would have been the age difference. So Harrison Ford is 14 years older than Tom Hanks. And Tom was 32, which in and of itself is crazy. Mm -hmm. But if we're just speaking to Harrison Ford's persona, I don't know. I He is sort of like a different kind of American dad. Mm Mm-hmm. A more rugged one, I guess. (laughs) I would have been very into it. (laughs) And I do think, you know, with the pedigree of the film and with its performance at award shows, maybe. I think, though, unfortunately, Roberto Benigni was such a presence on the award circuit that no one really had a chance. But I like to imagine a dream world where Harrison Ford could have had a chance. Mm Mm-hmm. But no matter what, it should have been Ian McKellen's Oscar. So Kevin and Joyce rave about gods and monsters as well. And I haven't seen this, so I need to add it to my list. Oh my God. The Oscar was stolen from Ian McKellen. (laughs) 
<laughs> Before we get into some of our listener questions, how do you think today's Academy would receive Saving Private Ryan? I think they'd love it just as much as they did then. Mm-hmm. I agree. So Spielberg hasn't won Best Director since Saving Private Ryan. But I think if this came out today and it was like Spielberg's return, I think he would mm-hmm. win Best Director for it. It's also aged really well. I think in comparison to the other movies from this year, it, yes, like feels like a movie that came out in the 90s, but it's held up very well. I think the technical elements still work. I love the performances. So first listener question comes from Gabe. If Saving Private Ryan had been released later in the year, closer to Oscar season, do you think this would have helped its Oscar chances? I say yes. So we will talk about Harvey Weinstein, but I think that's a really long time to sustain any sort of buzz and any sort of campaign. So I think it might have. It came out in July, July 24th. So its anniversary just passed. I think it's just hard to like going up against Harvey, going up against Miramax. It was the number one movie of the year, which is great, but that really only works for you for so long. And It obviously worked for Titanic the year before, (laughs) but that was also Titanic. I would err on the side of saying no, only because if we look at other ceremonies during award season, Saving Private Ryan won PGA, DGA, New York and LA critic circles and the Golden Globes. And I know with the Golden Globes, Shakespeare in Love was in comedy, but even with the others, it had a lot of support behind it. And knowing that Spielberg wasn't pushing super, super hard with its marketing campaign, I don't think he would have had all of these wins just with a later release date. Yeah, I think the one thing is just Harvey had a lot more time to create negative press around this movie. Whereas like, mm-hmm. I think if it came out a little bit later, maybe not so much. But I get what you're saying about like it already won a lot of awards. It was mm-hmm. ready to win Best Picture, and I probably would have predicted it. And there were other Best Picture winners that came out even earlier than July. So it's not like this is super early. No, but I think today, like if we're talking about like this would be like Stillwater. <laughs> Make a better comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, like, Silence of the Lambs, that was February. Like, it's possible yeah, for that to happen, but it's just, like, it's another barrier that made it easier for Harvey and Team Miramax. True. So our next question comes from Kevin Jacobson. Do you think the presence of another war film in Best Picture, The Thin Red Line, affected Saving Private Ryan's chances of winning? I mean, sure, there's maybe a small chance, but... If we're thinking about Academy members voting, they know what all five of these movies are, or at least I hope they do. And they're aware that The Thin Red Line is just such a different movie than Saving Private Ryan. And they're not just two war film options. And as much as I loved The Thin Red Line, I loved what Malik was doing, and I'm glad it's here. I knew it was like number five with its chances of winning Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Could it have taken some votes? Sure. But it's just a much more meditative movie than Spielberg's crowd pleaser, more action-y film. What's interesting here is we have three World War II movies. You have Saving Private Ryan, The Thin Red Line, and Life is Beautiful. And then you have two Elizabethan movies. And this comes up in a question that we have later on with Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love. So there could be a lot of vote splitting happening. I think in this case, though, I can see the Thin Red Line pulling some votes only because I think that the snooty or pretentious Academy members could think the Thin Red Line is my type of war movie. It's more sophisticated. It's more meditative. Like you said, I'm thinking about these philosophical questions about faith and nature and looking at Malik's beautiful visual imagery. And I can see them thinking maybe that they're above Saving Private Ryan or kind of turning their nose up at the blockbuster part of it. So Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that happening. So then if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would you give it? This is so hard. (laughs) I think I would give it best film editing. I think that's a great win for it. I think the only way it works is due to the pacing of the story, the flow of the story, the way that things are connected. And 
yes, a lot of things like go into that direction, screenwriting, etc. But I felt like the editing was the strongest component and giving it a technical award feels right to me. What about you? I was going to say the same thing. Give it to Michael Kahn for editing. He's basically Spielberg's personal editor. And, you know, what he's able to maneuver through this film and through different kinds of emotions and so many different sequences, let alone the behemoth of these like 20 minute sequences. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how much film was on the floor and having to cut. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I can't. But I think I would give editing the edge here over cinematography just because of really the shaky camera. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so moving on to Shakespeare in Love. Description here. The world's greatest ever playwright, William Shakespeare, is young, out of ideas, and short of cash, but meets his ideal woman and is inspired to write one of his most famous plays. It's directed by John Madden and stars Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, and Judi Dench. It had 13 total nominations. It won seven Oscars for Picture, Actress for Paltrow, Supporting Actress for Dench, Screenplay, Art Direction, Set Decoration, Costume Design, and Music, Original Music, or Comedy Score. It was also nominated for six others. Director, Supporting Actor for Rush, Cinematography, Sound, Film Editing, and Makeup. So Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan kind of switched off on the ones that each of them didn't win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you look at the winners, these two movies basically took home everything. There are a couple of exceptions. And is that something that you're okay with? I feel like it's fine. This to me is a pretty weak year in film overall. No Pleasantville for you. Would have loved to see a Joan Allen nomination for Pleasantville. And then Redline going zero for seven, which is heartbreaking. I mean, it's just kind of expected. It's just one of those things. Same with Truman Show. It's just not a movie that the Academy is going to go for across the board. So now that you've finally seen it, what are your general reactions to Shakespeare in Love? I really loved it. And I feel bad for judging it incorrectly (laughs) all of these years. It's, I think, Mm -hmm. one of those movies that has the great Oscar curse of winning. And because it won, now people don't like it. Was there a reason it took you so long to watch this? It's funny, because on paper, it just seems like the type of movie I would like. It's a period romantic comedy about Shakespeare. But that's exactly, I think, why I didn't watch it was because, you know, I was an English major. I took a couple of Shakespeare classes in college. I was a tour guide at a Shakespeare library. Like I just was very into it. (laughs) And it's one of my very nerdy topic areas. And I had so many people in that world who were very respected tell me that this movie was an abomination. Like anytime we talked about, like they heard that I was into the Oscars or movies, it Mm -hmm. was... Shakespeare in Love is horrible. It's so factually incorrect. But that's kind of the point. That's kind of the charm of it. I liked going into it not thinking, oh, this is exactly what would have happened at Shakespeare's Globe or what was happening at the Rose Theater or what it was like to watch the play at the time. You know, of course, Queen Elizabeth didn't actually go watch the show with the commoners and with the groundlings. Like, of course, she didn't do that. But that's why the movie's fun. That's why it works. And it's why you're entertained. So again, I'm kind of annoyed that they told me not to watch it. And that's fine. They can be better than it. But I am not. And you had seen it before, but what was it like rewatching or what are your general thoughts about the movie? So I remember liking it when I saw it before and I still liked it on rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was going to be a really heated line, but I'm glad you really liked it too. <laughs> what I really love is the screenplay. So it was written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard, but I think they capture shakespearean language so so well enough where you understand everything that they're saying but it's still very lyrical Mm -hmm. i don't know if it was was it in iambic pentameter since you're our shakespeare consultant now oh my gosh there is iambic pentameter throughout which is the style of shakespeare and that's something that i really love too the screenplay is the standout component for me. The language is so rhythmic and lyrical and 
beautiful and the Shakespearean references are incorporated in such clever ways. I really loved that and I love how they reference other plays. So whether it's visually, like when Will crumples up paper and you see him throw it towards a skull and Mm -hmm. you get the Hamlet reference, or later in the movie when you see him getting his inspiration to write Twelfth Night and it first comes with Judi Dench's reference to Twelfth Night as Queen Elizabeth. So I love little things like that because if you have a film about Shakespeare, you want to get as close to that language and that type of language as you can. And it's obviously not going to be as groundbreaking in Shakespeare, but it is going to have that same lightheartedness to it, that humor and that playfulness. And I think that this screenplay does that really, really well. It takes you into that world too. And I think something I really liked on both watches was that it brought us back to the Rose Theater and they talk about, you know, a penny for a groundling and a penny more for Mm -hmm. a cushion or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you become one in that world. You go back in time, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, compared to Romeo plus Juliet, which we've talked about before on the pod, I like this so much more. Oh, interesting. I mean, they're so, so different. I guess mostly in terms of acting style and writing. And mainly, I think of that because they both capture Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's funny about that, too, is that Shakespeare scholars, that is definitely the preferred film, (laughs) if you're Mm. thinking in those circles. But this one is much easier to consume. Yeah. I think it's the much more accessible way for a mainstream audience or someone who, like, doesn't read Shakespeare to get Shakespeare. And perhaps it's blasphemy to say this, but... If someone doesn't know anything about Shakespeare and they watch this movie and the feeling that I got when I watched this movie of just this delightful, beautiful film, if that's what they take away from it, I am fine with that. If that's what makes them go read more Shakespeare or like delve into that world or become interested in it, who cares? That's great. Mm -hmm. Live your life. (laughs) So getting into the movie a little bit more now, did you like Joseph Fiennes as Shakespeare? I loved him in this. He and Gwyneth had great chemistry, I thought. Mm-hmm. And he was a great choice. I'm going to step on my trivia a little bit. He wasn't my first choice. Once I found out who was supposed to play him, maybe. Daniel Day-Lewis was going to be in this, maybe. <laughs> and that really would have changed my world. But before this movie was made, Julia Roberts was going to play Viola. It was six years before the movie was made, apparently. Julia Roberts was cast as Viola and flew to the UK to try to convince DDL to take the part, but he did In the Name of the Father instead. So then Universal dropped the movie because they couldn't find anybody else besides DDL. Then it went to Miramax years later, but we could have had a Julia Roberts, DDL, Shakespeare in Love. Wow. I think that would have been just as good. I'm very intrigued by her playing this Shakespeare muse. I can see it. I'm like a little too into the idea now, even though it just isn't going to happen. But going back to what you first asked me, I thought that Joseph Fiennes was perfect casting for this part. And I kind of wonder what happened to him. Like, I know he's still acting. He's been in other things, but didn't get an Oscar nomination and just kind of disappeared. Just his description on Wikipedia sounds like something that I would be interested in. Regarded as the go-to actor <laughs> for English cultural history, finds us particularly known for his versatility and period. Oh my god. I did see him pretty recently with The Handmaid's Tale, but yeah, he definitely like disappeared for a while and did smaller productions. And he's in Elizabeth, too. Other Best Picture mm-hmm. nominee from the year. Yeah, that was one little trivia tidbit was that Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth came out the same year. He was the love interest in both of them. And Jeffrey Rush was also cast in both of them. And then they each had a winner at the Oscars, which is crazy. British ensemble pieces reuse so many of the same actors. Like you see them in so many different things, (laughs) often Harry Potter. So what did you think of Gwyneth Paltrow as Viola? I think this is regarded as one of the worst Best Actress wins. I loved her in this role. 
I think she was really good at the language and the delivery of Shakespeare's lines. She was so captivating to watch. And I think the whole cast had great chemistry. Mm -hmm. And especially here with Gwyneth. Do I think she should have won? Probably not. Kate Blanchett was the front runner, I think, for a long time this season. Mm -hmm. But I would still say I liked her performance. What do you think? I feel the same way. I went into this movie expecting to hate her performance based on how people talk about it on Twitter and just how it's been memorialized. But I thought she did a great job. I personally would have picked Fernanda Montenegro for Central Station or Kate Blanchett. I think they're both great. But I don't begrudge Gwyneth for winning. It feels, I think, with its best picture win... She, I think, to me, is the standout in the movie. And I think without this win, she wouldn't have won for any other performance Mm -hmm. at all. And I wonder if that would have changed her trajectory of what projects she chose along the way. But I feel like she definitely cooled down after this. She did fun roles. You know, she was in Austin Powers. And then a lot of the Marvel movies recently, Shallow Hal. Mm -hmm. And now she, you know, owns Goop. So (laughs) she's done a lot. (laughs) I love Gwyneth. Like, yes, some of her choices were different after this, but this really was what catapulted her into serious stardom. Because then, Mm -hmm. you know, she was on all these magazines. Yeah, because Ben took a role in this movie because he wanted to be with her more. Right, which is crazy. Because they were dating. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny that you have Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in each of these. And one of the parts I liked, which I just found kind of funny, was with her wig reveal Mm -hmm. as the woman. (laughs) It's like RuPaul would be so happy. It made me think of Drag Race too. (laughs) But yeah, this cast is amazing. We have Colin Firth, Jeffrey Rush, Judi Dench, who we can get to in a minute. Imelda as the nurse. I love her. Oh, yeah. I think she's my favorite. And her and Jim Carter, who I know from Downton Abbey, Mm -hmm. they're married in real life. So to see them together and they play the same role in different houses. So I think that parallel was really cute, too. I loved that. Another thing that I really loved about this movie and why I wish more people who like Shakespeare already would watch this movie or people who might be hesitant to get into Shakespeare would watch this, but... It actually made me feel like I could understand for the first time what it must have been like to see Romeo and Juliet before you knew the ending. Because Mm -hmm. I think that we all, regardless of if you've read it before or not, you go into that play knowing what happens to them. So that moment when Juliet pops up and everyone gasps, I just thought, Mm -hmm. oh my god, they don't know what's coming. This is like the first thing. And that is also cheesy, but I really, really loved that. And how they were just so moved by it and hesitated to clap at the end because they were clearly just feeling what that felt like. And I think this is a movie for theater nerds for sure, but it definitely captures that feeling you get when you go see a show or a play that just catches you by surprise and takes your breath away. Mm And I love the reaction shots of the crowd, but particularly Imelda, who Mm -hmm. is sobbing watching this final act, this performance Mm -hmm. going on. So Judi Dench ended up winning Best Supporting Actress for this, which I find a little weird, but second shortest win in the category. Performance clocked in around eight minutes. The record holder we've already talked about Mm -hmm. on the pod before, Mm -hmm. Beatrice Strait for Network. What did you think of Judy Dench's performance, and do you think that she deserved to win? I haven't seen any of the other movies that the supporting actresses were nominated for, but I liked her performance. I think they portray her as this really steadfast and strong woman, and it comes off a little villainous, but when she's revealed in the end, having seen the show in the theater... I think that's a great speech for her. Mm -hmm. Do I think her eight minutes deserved a win? I will defer to you. I mean, (laughs) I'm going to say no. It's one of those where it feels like she's going to steal the scenes that she's in. That's just who she is as an actress. Mm -hmm. But it kind of reminded me of when 
we and we talked about this when we were on film at 50 talking about the 1970 oscars it reminded me of when helen hayes won for airport and Uh having great competition but winning just because of who she was as this actress of the stage and screen like coming in and just having this short Mm -hmm. little role also she had only been nominated at that point once before so it wasn't like she had had like six or seven nominations and then like they're like finally we're gonna give her an oscar for shakespeare in love it's like no she did plenty of time she got five other nominations after that win (laughs) so i'm just kind of confused as to why it happened but the academy clearly had a fetish for queen elizabeth that year yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so do you think that anything was snubbed in terms of nominations it had pretty much everything And kind of like with Saving Private Ryan, it has such a huge cast. I think it would be hard to choose maybe one or two other supporting performances. I would have liked to have seen Imelda Staunton, but I think already having Judi Dench in there as Queen Elizabeth, it would have been hard to have had two female characters, I think, in there. And of the men, you mentioned that Joseph Fiennes should have been nominated. Would you nominate anybody else? I think I just would have added Joseph Fiennes. I feel like as one of the leads of this movie, I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get in. Otherwise, though, it had a pretty great haul. It got in in all of the categories where I would have nominated it. So that's my only one. And how do you think today's Academy would have received this movie? I think that this was really at like peak Miramax time. And movies like this today... A romantic comedy that's also a period film. I don't think it hits with the Academy in the same way. I'm trying to think of similar films today, and none of them that I can think of get in with the Academy in this way. They'll probably get like maybe a nomination for costume design, maybe for production design, but nothing like winning Best mm-hmm. Picture. What do you think? Yeah, I think it would have had way fewer nominations. And I don't think, like, for the more technical ones, like cinematography, I don't think that would have happened. And we have some questions here from listeners. So first up, from Rob Montoya. Saving Private Ryan had PGA, DGA, Golden Globes, New York Film Critics Circle, LA Film Critics Circle, Critics' Choice, and went into the Oscars as the frontrunner. Shakespeare in Love had the BAFTA, which actually was after the Oscars this year. Just wanted to throw that in there. The Golden Globe in the musical comedy category and SAG, but it had the most important thing, Harvey. Do you think it was Harvey Weinstein that made the difference or was Shakespeare the better film? I think now is the time to start talking about this. (laughs) Here we go, finally. But first off, do you think of this as a comedy? I still would have put this in drama. Yeah, it's hard. I I mean, it has elements of both. I call it a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. because it definitely, it has those comedic Mm -hmm. elements to it. It has that wittiness to it but i think it could go either way when i first heard this was in the comedy category i paused yeah it's just seeing these two split up Mm -hmm. just doesn't really make sense to me but regardless harvey weinstein i think in doing research it really irked me to know how much of an influence he actually had Mm -hmm. like you hear about what he did and how he won them who knows how many they would have gotten without him Mm -hmm. pushing but I read that he did start a smear campaign against Saving Private Ryan and saying the first 20 minutes are good and then it just kind of fizzles out. And Spielberg didn't want to play a dirty game just to get attention and for people to watch his movie. He did what films normally did. He had ads placed in certain magazines and had, I'm sure, billboards and whatnot. But, you know, he has that Ohio spirit where it's like if... My film is going to win. It's going to win. And, you know, I'm not going to shove it down people's throats that they have to vote for my film. And another thing that Harvey did was he threw this big welcome to America party for John Madden coming to New York. And there were some Academy voters there, which looked really bad on them. With everything that happened, yes, I think completely he had such a big impact here. And I don't really know the circumstances of him and Gwyneth but apparently things had happened years prior to which were controversial so Mm -hmm. it's just all a mess when I was 
reading about this and everything with Harvey Weinstein and just the influence that he had on Hollywood at the time and specifically with this movie, it of course makes you angry to think about how many people he hurt, but just on a baseline level for us discussing these movies today, it made me mad because Shakespeare in Love is a good movie. He didn't need to do all of this. Not saying it, mm-hmm. you know, would have won Best Picture without him. It probably wouldn't have. But it definitely taints the legacy of the movie. Because now, once mm-hmm. you know that, all you can think about is Harvey and everything that he did. What's really hard, too, is today, I think a lot of times on our show, we talk about how we want people to go see independent films. And how we want these smaller films to do really well at the Oscars. And that was his approach. That's what he tried to sell to people. That's what he wanted. And, you know, that's what he did with Miramax. He knew that if these movies got awards, got Oscar nominations, got wins, they would instantly make more money. And when Disney bought Miramax, that was kind of the thing, was that Miramax was going to be this awards arm. And that's how they were going to earn more money. Now, getting to this campaign, too... He, I mean, just overspent and he tapped into, I think, the narcissism of Hollywood, knowing that these people would want something that was about artistic endeavors and that process. And he knew that this movie would be the one to do it. Shakespeare in Love is Harvey's baby. I mean, he had other movies, too, like Chicago, like The English Patient that you can look at and say, like, these were movies that he really made sure won these big Oscars and funneled tons of money into them and consultants and, you know, cheated. Like that party you mentioned, that violated an Academy Mm -hmm. rule. Like he openly did that and nobody cared. And what's fascinating about this too at the time was that all of this was happening at the same time as the Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal. And they knew that like Hollywood at the time would want something that was all about goodness and being morally upright and I think Harvey probably saw that as a threat with Saving Private Ryan you know this was a movie that was about the generation before Bill Clinton this wasn't about Vietnam it wasn't about draft dodgers it was about these good men in World War II so he knew the stakes Mm -hmm. were high and he did everything he could and what's hard too is that so many people looked up to him and unfortunately still do Mm -hmm. especially in the way that he ran campaigns. And it does taint the legacy of what the Oscar is. I mean, when Louis B. Mayer was around, I mean, we don't know if he did the exact same things as Harvey Weinstein, but it was a pay-to-play thing for him. So that's how they've always been. But Harvey, I think, definitely made it worse. And it makes you really think, like, is any of that worth it? No. Yeah. Well, our next question <laughs> oh, God. from James at allaboutoscar.net. Does Shakespeare in Love benefit from the way it plays on TV? 1000% yes. This is so much easier to watch. Whereas Saving Private Ryan, I think you need the big theatrical experience to really get the most of it. So you'd have to go to Academy screenings or see it in a theater. And mm-hmm. Shakespeare in Love, you can just watch on cable at home. And we have a question from Monolith. It's kind of my guilty pleasure, but I want to confess that I love Shakespeare in Love more than Saving Private Ryan. Is there anyone like me? (laughs) Best picture aside, if you like really separated from the Oscars, which movie do you like more? It's tough because they're both great films. Like all of their components are done really well. And that's what I look to. I gave them both the same rating, I think. I don't love one more than the other. I think in watchability, it would have to be Shakespeare in Love. It's definitely something you could just throw on or really just appealing to a wider audience. I don't think it will shock anyone that I like Shakespeare in Love more than Saving Private Ryan. I feel like we have so many war movies and this one is just more creative to me and I will not apologize for liking it. I know that people have problems with it. (laughs) But just as a movie, I like this one more. And if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? I would give it to screenplay. I think that was my favorite part. And the fact that I could understand what they were saying in this Shakespearean language, I think was like a big bonus. 
in the end, I think it really worked and it was an inventive way to bring in Shakespeare, but also develop these other side plots and to imagine this world that Shakespeare lived in. What about you? What would you give it? I would also choose screenplay. We're very aligned today. I think it really leans into all of the Shakespearean tropes without being Mm -hmm. cliche. It's just really witty and clever and fun. And I like, too, how it really shows how Shakespeare influenced romantic comedies that we know today. So that's what I would choose. So just some other general questions we have now from listeners. First one comes from Chell's. Was the hype of this Oscar race overblown now that you've seen the two front runners? Yes. I would say it has been overblown, definitely for me, because going into this, not knowing anything about Shakespearean love, I really expected to hate it just based on the hype alone of just how people talk about this, which is that Saving Private Ryan is like the most robbed movie of best picture ever, which is just not true. Shakespearean love is good. I'm going to say it. It's not Driving Miss Daisy or Green Book or Crash or any of these. That's not the situation that we have here. So I think it's natural to latch onto this race because of everything with Harvey Weinstein. But to me, it just kind of feels like the very masculine war movie didn't win Best Picture. And I'm okay with that. What about you? I agree with all of that. I think what's also interesting to think about is that comedies, at least in the Oscars eyes or whoever thinks this was a comedy (laughs) they don't win very often at the Oscars especially in best picture so at least in terms of that I'm happy that we got another one of those to win because best picture winners are also lengthy films usually like I think the average length is like 140 minutes And it's like, we don't need this, like you said, masculine war movie that's three hours long to win Best Picture every time. And I think, yes, I love the themes and what it does get into and how it's made. But I think having that split also helped Mm -hmm. the fallout because we did get Spielberg winning director and this winning picture. And I think that's such a fitting end to everything that happened. Right. And we say all the time when we do these Oscar rewinds, we're like, why wasn't there a split? I would have loved a split in this particular year. (laughs) And here we have one. And I think that that works. We'll get to our final verdict Mm -hmm. at the end, but that's all I'll say for now. Our next question comes from Joe Lorenzini. Why was the Truman Show snubbed? Well, you said this earlier that the Academy doesn't really go for this. I really like the Truman Show I never thought of it in terms of the Oscars, and honestly, to hear that it had multiple nominations actually really surprises me. I don't really have an answer to why, though. It just, to me, doesn't feel like an Oscar movie, especially in the 90s. I think today, I would almost count on it winning screenplay, and I am shocked that Jim Carrey didn't get nominated. That just feels like Mm -hmm. a weird miss to me, especially when there are three other nominations. I personally would have nominated it for Best Picture. But it also just kind of feels like one where it was too ahead of its time for the Academy. Next question comes from James at allaboutoscar.net again. The best picture films were split between World War II and the Elizabethan era. What's your favorite film from each category? My favorites are Saving Private Ryan and Shakespeare in Love. And if I'm choosing from the best picture nominees, I would say Shakespeare in Love and Life is Beautiful. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know people didn't like this movie. This is one of my favorites. Why is this so hated? People do not like it. I think that its view of the Holocaust can seem kind of cheap. Did you like Jojo Rabbit too? Okay, I see that. I wrote like a huge paper on this in college. Oh my God. And like how we framed comedy to capture trauma and portray the Holocaust. Like this was my major... (laughs) Wait. <laughs> but like Chaplin too and Oh my god. We definitely watch Life is Beautiful. Roberto is analyze. totally trying to be Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. Maybe that's why I struggle I... <laughs> Oh yeah, wow. Okay. Okay. Um all coming together for me. Making sense. Today. Now. That movie's a tough one. I think that it hasn't aged well. I think at the time people obviously really loved it, but 
today I think people just think about it differently in the way that it portrays the Holocaust. I would say like I have, I can't think of my favorite Elizabethan era movie overall right now. I will recommend Orlando with Tilda Swinton. And my favorite World War II movie is The Best Years of Our Lives. You know how I feel about period films, so I can't really do that. And Period films are great. But if I were to rank my movies here for the World War II films, I would probably go Life is Beautiful, The Thin Red Line, and then Saving Private Ryan. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a pivot. I wasn't expecting that. I thought you would choose The Thin Red Line, but not that you would rank... They're very close. Yeah. They're both half-star ratings apart from each other. Our next question comes from Owen Daly. If you had to add a nomination to either of these films, what category would it be in? Actually, I don't know if this counts, but would visual effects count for Saving Private Ryan? I'm sure you could count it. The nominees were What Dreams May Come, which is what won, and then Armageddon and Mighty Joe Young. Oh my god, Mighty Joe Young. (laughs) Charlize. But I feel like what they did with all of the action sequences, that was amazing. Like, why were there only three visual effects nominees this year? What would yours be? Mine would be Joseph Fiennes for Shakespeare in Love. Our next question is from Eliseo. If you could take a nomination away from each film, what would it be and what would you give it to? So now I might have people coming for me again, but... I'm so scared. Kind of what you said earlier, I would take away Tom Hanks's nomination and give it to Jim Carrey. Okay. And then I would take away Judy Dench's nomination, maybe commit some category fraud, and I would give it to Susan Sarandon for Stepmom. Okay, I was going to take Gwyneth <laughs> and replace her with Susan Sarandon for Stepmom because I wanted to that do would Judy. Work too. Yes, I was like, we need to find a way to make room for Stepmom somewhere. Okay, I have like a real answer and then an inspired answer. <laughs> My real answer is that I would take away director for John Madden for Shakespeare in Love. And I would give it to the Coen brothers for The Big Lebowski. Okay. My cracked pick is that I would take Gwyneth Paltrow out of Best Actress and replace her with J-Lo in Out of Sight. <laughs> oh my god. I love that movie. That's funny. I don't think I've seen that one. Oh my god. It's the maybe the hottest movie I've ever seen. George Clooney and J-Lo both look so good. You should watch it. Steven Soderbergh. Okay. Another question from Eliseo, if the score category was combined, would both get in, and which would you choose to win? So this year we had two score categories at the Oscars. It used to be separated between dramatic score and musical or comedy score. The musical or comedy scores, listen to these. Shakespeare in Love won. The other nominees were A Bug's Life, Mulan, Patch Adams, and The Prince of Egypt. Those were some hits for me as a child. Not Patch Adams, but the others, the animated ones. I was going to say, it's basically an animated category. Mm-hmm. I think they would have gotten in just because they were Best Picture frontrunners. But I think Hans Zimmer would still have two nominations if they were combined for The Prince of Egypt and The Thin Red Line. And then Shakespeare in Love, Saving Private Ryan, and Life is Beautiful. See, I feel like I would just swap out Pleasantville and replace it with Shakespeare in Love, and that's what we would have as the five. So it would be pretty much the drama score. Mm -hmm. For me, I would give the Oscar to the Saving Private Ryan score by John Williams. That's my favorite of the bunch. But there are a lot of good scores here. I have seen The Prince of Egypt pretty recently, and again, Zimmer just does no wrong. Mm -hmm. Both of these are incredible. Okay, so final verdict time. Did the Academy get it right giving Shakespeare in Love best picture? What do you think? Apart from all the drama, I think they did. Is that a hot take? (laughs) I think it is, but I have it too. I mean, I wouldn't be mad if Saving Private Ryan won. And I do think looking back, it is probably the movie that has aged the best. But I part of me is just like, people don't like Shakespeare in Love because it won. But I would have voted for it. I think I'm very okay with the split, though. Oh, yeah. I think that's where I'm happiest, is both getting recognized, really. We love Best Director here, and 
I think that gives just as much recognition to that film. And I do think Saving Private Ryan is a bigger achievement, but I think it's exciting to see a film like Shakespeare in Love win Best Picture. And let us know if all of you agree or not, or have thoughts on what we've talked about. (laughs) (laughs) I know that people love Saving Private Ryan, and we really enjoyed it too. There's a lot to love about both of these movies, and... It was fun Mm -hmm. revisiting Saving Private Ryan and watching Shakespeare in Love for the first time. We'll have to do this again. We'll have to find another Oscar year where there's one that I haven't seen, one that you haven't seen. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's nice to check Saving Private Ryan off my list. Mm -hmm. That was definitely a big one. And I can't wait to check off some others. I know the last Best Picture winner that I haven't seen is The English Patient. What's yours? Mine is Gandhi. Again, two really long movies. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be talking about three recent releases that all feature a music performance of varying degrees. (laughs) (laughs) These include Annette, which is currently in theaters and on Amazon Prime on August 20th. And then Coda, which premiered on Apple TV Plus on August 13th. And then Respect, which came out in theaters last Friday. I can't wait to talk about these movies. I still need to see Respect, but I can say the other two are very different. I'm very, very excited to talk about Baby Annette with you and the (laughs) musical performances in that, since I know you've seen it now and we're going to have quite the discussion. So everyone needs to experience it. That was a wild experience. I think I'm going to have three very different feelings about these movies. I saw Coda back when it won a lot of awards at Sundance, Mm -hmm. and that was just so different compared to Annette. This may be a very interesting discussion. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let us know if you have suggestions for other Oscar years or races to cover. And of course, let us know if you think the Academy got it right by choosing Shakespeare in Love for Best Picture. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.